Welcome into the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. A uh, little bit different uh, feel than you guys are probably used to. Producer Jordan here. Uh, Jake is out, feeling a bit under the weather. Kip's got something he's got to handle, too. But we got Rusty Mansell here. We've got host of the Late Kick, Josh Pate here. Wow. Guys, how's it going? I love the first response is Josh Pate's always late. I mean, I love that. Just just set the tone like, dude, we don't care who you are. Your ass better be on time in here. So I, I like them setting the tone already on the comment section. I am. You, uh, so, <laughs> so as we as we're talking, you know, I'm watching us also on YouTube because I want to make sure my mom and Mima and everyone sees me and Coach Rusty and Producer Jordan on the same screen. Because sometimes they think I don't really know you guys. They think I'm just making it up. So. I do know these guys, man. Like, we actually exchange texts every now and then. It happens. By the way, I got to text Jake Rowe. I got to text Kip. I got to make sure our little angels are okay. I know it's that time of year. Everyone's got a sniffle or two, so I got to I gotta make sure they're okay. As Jake said this morning, Kirby has him listed as day-to-day right now. <laughs> so, don't know if he's going to be out this week and through spring practice, but right now uh, Jake Rowe is listed as day-to-day. Absolutely. Uh, well, not to rub salt in the wound, guys, but I uh, wanted to do a little recap of the SEC championship game. Just kind of get some of Josh's takes on that. Uh, Rusty, I know we had talked before the show and you said everybody's been wondering about one thing. And, and what is that? Well, a lot of things. I think one of the questions we can get into today is, you know, how do we address what Alabama has in recruiting classes? You know, how do we get those those spots? You know, I think, George, everybody whether you're a Georgia Bulldog fan or not, knows this is a this is a pretty elite roster that Kirby Smart has assembled. Now there's some spots um, that 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 you know showed up again Saturday against some things, but you know as we go into the mailbag questions, I think we can talk more about that. But you know how can you get even closer, uh, sort of speak to Alabama, and what type of things can you address in this signing class uh, to to inch closer to Alabama and, and see where you can get to you. Can, Eventually, at some point, try to get over the hump against that one team that right now is Georgia's kryptonite. Rusty, that's what everyone's talking about. I, I'm from Georgia. You live there. Like, you know, that's what everyone's talking about there. So nationally, you know what the perception is. The perception is Georgia's had all these elite recruiting classes. Sure. That means you're automatically underachieving if you don't beat Alabama. You were favored in the game this time. You don't beat Alabama. But if you follow recruiting, in the grass, in the weeds, granularly like you do, like I do. we got a big signing day show coming up next week. You know that you could technically stack 47 five-star linebackers in a class. You'd have the number one ranked class. You don't have the best team because you you did not evenly disperse the talent. So when we right. watched that game Saturday and you're watching – now, granted, Adam Anderson not on the field. That's a big difference. But you look at that Georgia team, they don't have a Dallas Turner or Will Anderson type out there to singularly pressure a quarterback. You got to get pressure a lot more with scheme. And when you don't get home, that leaves number one in crimson running wide open over the middle of the field. Like that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. You're talking about matchup wise. You're talking about instead of a unit getting, I'm going to steal the term dudes, individual dudes that have five stars or four stars next to their name. That's the difference. One or two players is the difference sometimes in these games. So many individual battles on Saturday took place. And uh, when you go back and look at these rosters, Josh, in a couple of years, there were so many NFL players on the field for both teams. It's insane. But I think you hit it on the head, man. It's individual battles. Can you can you win those individual battles? And I said this last week, Jordan's got the piece. We I think we ran it on Twitter. Uh, the question last week we did, I think about this time, was what concerns you from Georgia's perspective? 
And I said, well, I don't know if it's a concern, but we're going to find out if Georgia can run in the back end because they haven't been tested there. And I'll tell you this right now, they couldn't run with number one. And number eight, John Mechie, unfortunately got hurt. And you hate that for that kid, but he was on track to have about 100, 100 180, 170 yards receiving as well. Uh, they had no answer for him. So there was individual battles. You know, they could not line up with those two guys and cover them. They tried to protect them. Hell, Josh, they tried to double team uh, Jamison Williams early in the second half, and he split two. I'm talking about two dudes that's going to play the NFL, Lewis Seen and Keely Ringo. He split both of those guys. And, oh, by the way, a five-star quarterback dropped a freaking dime for a touchdown. You know, that's one of those things, whether you like it or not, you freaking tip your cap because – they did everything they needed to score. Uh, I think the only thing you can kind of critique there is a route like that, a stutter and go. You have to get your hands on him. Keely Ringo has to reroute him a little bit. But as far as running, that was three athletes, and Jamison Williams is a little bit better than the other two right now. I think I think so. That game, there were two performances in that game. One of them was by Williams. One of them was by Bryce Young. Uh, another one that I saw this year, actually in person, was blessed enough to see this in person, was Kenneth Walker against Michigan. It's a game where it's winning time and everyone knows where the ball's going. Like everyone knows what's coming and all the focus is on you and you still get the job done. Like that is what a superstar at the college level does. You can sneak attack folks and sure. pile up some statistics. But Jamison Williams, like you're talking about, you're dealing with bracket coverage and you double move a guy and you get behind the defense. Bryce Young. Alabama ran the ball probably better than I thought they would, but they have an ineffective running game to say the least. And you still know who the, who shoulders the loads on every play and he's still getting the job done. And Kenneth Walker against Michigan was that same way. That's, I know we're talking about individuals, but that's because signing day is coming up next week. That's when we get into this mailbag. A lot of folks are going to be talking about getting speed on the perimeter, getting difference makers out wide. Arian Smith was a big pickup for them this last cycle. You never know what kind of difference that guy makes if he's on the field. You, it, one or two plays could be 14 points in a game. So it's a it's a fun time of year. It feels like a, a chess match with actual human beings involved. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's I mean, that's what stood out last week. Rusty, one of the things that really stood out to me is, uh, you know, a defensive line that had been so dominant this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, granted against maybe not the the kind of offensive line that, that Alabama has trotted out. Um, why were they so ineffective, um, you know, just getting pressure on Bryce Young, um, at least in the first half? Yeah, I thought they tried to pressure only with their front four, run a lot more. And look, it goes back to what I'm saying. I think they tried to pressure with their front four, drop a lot of guys and be protective of that back end. Uh, so in the first half, they were getting eat up on crossing routes. That's how you get zones. You get in between the zones and – of Jamison Williams on that one. He catches it in the zone on a third and two down 10 to nothing. He takes it to the house 67 yards, didn't get touched. Uh, but when you look at the front four, I think if Georgia rematches with Alabama, you're going to see some different things. Everybody goes, why didn't Georgia use the Auburn, you know, thing, sack him six or seven times. So don't forget uh, for about three quarters there, Jamison Williams was not on the field for Alabama against Auburn. Yeah. So when you don't have Jamison Williams, you can play Alabama a lot different. You can man up and bring the house because you're not so much worried about that top end. Oh, by the way, the offensive, the defensive back for Auburn, McCrary, played an unbelievable game. I know he gave up a touchdown that last play, but it was target after target after target, and he kept making plays for Auburn. 
So I think with Georgia's front four, certainly if you looked at that group and asked them how they graded out, they would be disappointed. They didn't win a lot of individual battles, but it doesn't mean that Alabama's a better team. It doesn't mean you can't play better the next time. It's just freaking dude on dude. It's NFL guy on NFL guy, and you got to win more battles the next time. You got to be able to get pressure, but I also think you're going to see Georgia bring some things a little bit more kind of quote exotic, more blitzes. Uh, kind of kind of come after Bryce Young because you can't sit back there and let him get comfortable. You saw how dangerous he is. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Georgia going to uh, Miami, take on Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Uh, that'll be on New Year's Eve. Um, just first thoughts on the matchups. Josh, you go ahead. Uh, well, first off, you know, it's hard for me to take – one of these more dude based masculine conversations seriously when my man's got a cat hopping up on the bed in his background i gotta be real that's not a prop cat now that's a real cat that's a shoot cat i'll tell you what that's a d-line cat that dude's thick now that's a three tech that's a, that's a two gapper that's a, that's a two gap feline so um so here's what i'm thinking like when you when you initially look at Cade mcnamara you look at michigan and then you have the most recent memory in your mind which is alabama um, like we just said, it wasn't really a unit game. It was an individual game. Individuals won that game. Coaches never preach it that way, but individuals made the difference. The thing that was just asked about Georgia's defensive front, it's viewed as this abject failure because they lost the game. Rusty, they did a pretty good job against the run. I mean, they limited Alabama four and four some odd yards per carry. I had them about 115 on the ground. Here's what I'm thinking. If you do the same thing to Michigan, you're taking care of Michigan. Because okay. Michigan, God bless Cade McNamara, uh, they don't have necessarily that pick-you-apart ability, that third and three, break it for 60 yards. That's not happening, at least to the degree that it did against Alabama. So you're going to have to special teams and hidden yardage your way to a win if you're Michigan. Now, uh, look, that is a very good team. It's not an easy out. They can limit you with four. They can get pressure with four, too. So there are some things that – would make you confident if you're Michigan. I also think Michigan looks at it and says, okay, well, let's say you do limit us to 17 to 24 points. Do we have confidence that you can score more than that on us? Like that, that'll be the counter for Michigan folks. That's going to be the fun thing to watch. Does that set up as, as some game that's played in the low to mid forties, or does it start to get up there like Alabama and Georgia did? If this ironically, if the score is higher, they could probably both better for Georgia. How do you hope to, to neutralize, um, a pass rush, you know, that's that's headed by a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, uh, David Ojaba. Um, we we saw Jamari Sawyer play in the SEC championship, uh, albeit a bit limited. But do you think, um, do you think that that's a couple of guys that they're going to have to double, um, Rusty? Well, I mean, you you have the benefit of having a guy like Darnell Washington, who's like an offensive tackle that runs out for passes with number zero on the guy six foot seven, 270 pounds and uh, had made a hell of a play uh, for a touchdown bow, by the way, in that game, because of his length against Alabama. So, you know, you got a guy, you prepare, you prepare for those guys like you did Will Anderson. You got to know, you got to identify and know where he is. A lot of people think that Will Anderson just bends his, you know, he can just bend and come off the edge. Alabama does a lot of different stuff with him. They want to isolate him on guards you know they bring that et stunt where they switch the guard the end and tackle and bring him up underneath and it's too much for a guard to to reshuffle his feet next thing you know will anderson's got your quarterback on the ground so when you look at those two guys i think hutchinson's more of an edge guy you know they bring him off he's strong can bend those type of things so with that you have to always be able to chip him 
you got to reroute him a little bit. Warren McClendon's a big boy. He's played some big-time games. Uh, Jamari Salyer certainly held his own for best part. Broderick Jones is the guy. So, you know, as we talked about this, this will be individual battles. I think they'll kind of prepare for them the same way. I think Hutchinson's a little bit different player. He's more of a prototypical edge guy. He's going to come off the edge as much as he can. Uh, I think Alabama does a ton of things with Will Anderson that scares you to death. So, with that saying, I think George has a benefit. If Fitzpatrick doesn't get enough, you know, credit for being a blocking tight end, Brock Bowers will block you. Uh, but but Darnell Washington is so big when they go 12 personnel because you got a guy that's 6'7", 270 out there at tight end, and you got to run around that length and before that tackle gets his hands on you. So, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous uh, battle there with someone like him, but they have prepared for a player like that. So I think that'll be a little bit of a, you know, a, a comfortable situation. Georgia going into preparation for those guys. Cause Hey, we just prepared for an elite defensive end, a really good defensive line. We're going to do it again in this game. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, um, bit of a two headed uh, monster there at running back, Blake Corum, Hassan Haskins. Uh, we talked about, you know, just a second ago, Georgia's defensive line kind of neutralizing Alabama, but it honestly sounds like Michigan might have a little bit of better of a rushing attack. Um, do you think that that defensive line can can neutralize uh, Haskins and, and Quorum as well? I think they uh, stand a very good chance of limiting them to a number below what their season average was. Then the question becomes how much below your season average. But the difference they'll face, they being Georgia, the difference they'll face against Michigan is they're going to face a team fully committed to running the ball. Alabama wasn't committed to running the ball. They couldn't afford to be. Uh, Kirby said in his post game, I, Rusty, stop me. The, the, remind me the last time you heard in an SEC championship game, a head coach get in the post game press conference against Alabama, by the way, and say, we didn't even really work on the run a whole lot this week. We didn't even think they'd be committed to it. We were right, by the way. Mm. That's crazy. That, that was the losing team talking like that. Well, he will not be saying that win or lose against Michigan. No. They'll be committed to it. Um, the whole run-pass ratio, that'll be really fun to watch with Michigan, too. You'll deal with it for four quarters. I, I Look, I also think that whereas last game was not a game tailor-made for the Jordan Davises of the world, cool. you, talk, you talk about flipping that coin totally on its ear. Like, this, this is a Jordan Davis showcase game to me. Jalen Carter. Yeah, that, that is – I'm not going to beat around the bush. This game, if Georgia could pick a semifinal team to play, they pick Michigan because the way Michigan's built and how they – and what they're built defensively. I mean, you know, I always barred Barton Simmons saying, I mean, Georgia can suffocate you that way. So, Michigan's going to have to try to counter, uh, you know, those, do some things that they don't normally do. But if you think you're going to line up and just run the ball at Georgia, it ain't, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and hit a break. Uh, we'll come back and we will do some mailbag questions. All right. Welcome back, guys. Uh, Josh, I am going to volley this first one to you. Uh, these are all from the junkyard. Johnny led 27. How does Michigan's quarterback compare to those we played in the SEC this season? So we've got J.J. McCarthy. We've got Cade McNamara. You know, they, they do a little bit of, of splitting snaps there. Um, how do you think they compare to <clears throat> quarterbacks that Georgia's already played um, this season? I don't know, Rusty. Who do you do you do you have a do you have a data point that you compared them to? I'm trying to think. I mean, you got did Georgia face Hooker at Tennessee? Is that who started yep. against them? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, you had um. I don't, they, I don't played, know. they played KJ Jefferson um, at Arkansas. Kentucky, they played Kentucky. Bryce Young. Um, 
Will Levis. You know, it's kind of it's hard to to put that comparison there uh, on based off what they because he's not Bryce Young, obviously, no. but not many are. Um, I don't know that you really, you know, he's. I don't know what you really say he reminds me of this guy that they've faced so far. Uh, I mean, they've certainly he, faced different guys. Hookers had a really good year at Tennessee, really fast-paced deal there. So, um, I think looking at it, he's a very solid quarterback. I mean, that's that's the one, that's the one thing you want to, you know, you've seen him in person, Josh. So you you know you can you can you know Michigan. What'd you go Michigan Michigan State game? Yeah, at uh, that one at Ohio State. I think look here's he's got probably a composite of maybe a little better arm talent than some of the guys we're talking about at Arkansas or Tennessee doesn't have the mobile threat maybe yeah, to the degree yeah. that those guys do. So it's kind of, kind of Rob Peter over here, but pay Paul over there. He's a good quarterback. He's not, he is a guy that can manage a game very effectively. I don't speak about that in any kind of pejorative manner. He's a guy that will get them in the right looks. He's a guy that knows how to run their offense. He's not a liability from the neck up or the neck down. He's also not going to pick you apart. So it's got to be more a collective effort than, you know, some guy throwing for 450 and taking the team on his back. Absolutely. Rusty, this next one for you. Uh, Nostradagus 2000. Are there any recruits committed elsewhere or uncommitted that Georgia has a good shot at landing? So any, any, I guess, flips or, uh, you know, Really, mostly the Hayes and the Barn, sort of speak for Georgia. I mean, this class could finish number one, finish number two, number three somewhere. So it's going to be another Kirby Smart class at Georgia, elite, I think. But you know, I think when you start looking at this weekend, uh, and we'll write more about this on the junkyard, expecting Shamar James, five-star linebacker, uh, Marvin Jones Jr., defensive end, outside linebacker out of South Florida, expecting him on campus this weekend. You got a guy like Kamari Wilson they're trying to get an IMG that uh, he'll make his decision. So there's still a lot of guys there. The question I did ask Rusty Chat last night, and the question we'll probably get it down the line at some point, so I'll go ahead and answer. The question is the, the wide receiver recruiting, and that is that is something that Georgia, you know, for every feel-good story, they stole one, a kid like Lad McConkey. I mean, they stole him. Let's just be honest. I mean, he was going to UTC. I mean, this kid scored on Bama in the SEC championship. Uh, he's made some plays this year, but – Georgia fans want to know where's their where's their Mechie, where's their Devontae Smith, where's their Jamison Williams. That's what they want. And right now, Georgia, they didn't have that in this class, um, and I don't see it in this class. Now, that doesn't mean they can't get one in the portal. So uh, when Jamison, this time last year, we're not sitting there talking about Jamison Williams to Alabama. We're talking about this freaking portal. Can you plug and play? Can you get a guy? So, uh, you know, I think Georgia fans that – you know, I make no mistake about it. They've got to get better in the wide receiver room. They got to get more athletic. They got some solid, really good players. I think Josh hit on the head a while ago. They won a recruiting battle, Aaron Smith. Clemson won an Aaron Smith. Alabama won an Aaron Smith. This kid that runs a 10 300. He's just been hurt, man. He's been hurt. You know, what does he do if you catch him twice, one time in the SEC game? That guy can run as fast as Jameson Williams. I mean, he's an elite playmaker. He's been hurt. Got to have him back. George Pickens, obviously sitting there with a brace on his leg, trying to get back in football shape. It makes a hell of a play on one play, but can he make a difference in the next couple of weeks? So Georgia, two things that wide receiver, they've been banged up. They need more depth. They need more guys there. So think about this now. When we're talking about the portal, because that's absolutely where they could strike, uh, you probably won't see it coming. It, it could be something totally absolutely. out of the blue. Yep. But think about this now. We got a new coaching staff in Baton Rouge. 
Mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of folks walking out. You'll see a lot more folks walk in. Don't think that's going to be limited to just Corey Raymond and that coaching staff. Sure. You've got guys like Kayshawn Butte sitting down there right now. And for all I know, he may not be in purple and gold when spring rolls around. And you've got coordinators on the move. And you got to – I know it's a spider web. But, Rusty, you know this. You know who recruited who. And so when that guy's guy leaves, then you may have that guy on the radar, but the public's not talking about it. So, like you said, no one was looking at Jamison Williams this time last year. Jamison Williams – was just an anecdote for Ohio State fans to brag about when they talked about how crowded their wide receiver room was. But here's what you have to do. Like, we're talking about Jamison Williams, and we're talking about Arian Arian Smith there. Also, think about this time last year, when you credit the depth building at Alabama and what you want to see happen at Georgia. They lost Jalen Waddell last year and didn't miss a beat. No. You, you got to get to the point where you could lose guys theoretically like that and you're not saying, well, there goes our deep shot. No, you got to be able to say, there goes one of our deep shots. Right. We got to have multiple. All right. Yep. Next one, uh, Peter's Ram Spirit. Which unit and player had the biggest improvement uh, this season? I think I think the offensive line as year went on. You know, that was a lot of there was a lot of pieces there that have been banged up. I, I thought that you know, I tell you what, people. It's unfortunate, but Georgia lost Tate Ratledge on the third play of the game against Clemson. And everybody, everybody, every source I possibly have in in Athens were just blown away at how much Tate Ratledge had improved. Uh, here's a kid that's six foot seven, you know, 310 pounds is playing right guard. You lose a guy like that at right guard, and it, and it really throws your whole season off. So you got to throw Cedric Van, Van Pran into center. You know, a guy that's never played, never started. So uh, they're replacing some NFL guys there. Jamari Sire has to stay at left tackle. You know, all those things. Justin Schaefer was a, you know, who, who's going to play right guard? Who's going to play center for you? I think as the year went on, uh, Georgia got better offensively, offensive line. You know, I know they wanted to run the ball a little bit better against Alabama, but I thought as the year went on, they were able to hold off pressure. Uh, I thought they did a, great, a really good job getting it better as a unit. And, uh, you know, we'll see how they finish off. Georgia could have two more games, two most important games of the year, two-game season now. So, But as the year went on, I really thought the offensive line room, uh, and don't discredit, man, because I'm an old I'm an old tight end myself now from way back in the glory days, minus a mustache. Uh, the tight end room did a hell of a job blocking. They did a great job blocking, and they counted on those guys to help on the edge, and they don't get enough credit. I know Brock Bowers and those guys catch a lot of balls, but, man, they did a really good job blocking for Georgia. Tight end may be my answer because think about this, Rusty. So if we're coming into the season and we're all excited about the prospect of Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington being on the same team, if I were to tell you, if I were to tell you, you're going to get nothing from Gilbert, uh, Darnell Washington's not going to light the stat sheet up. You would be very down on the tight end position production wise. And Brock Bowers, not a guy many people were talking about the preseason, all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. He's your best receiving threat. And I'll tell you, because Georgia blew so many teams out this year and they didn't play a bunch of high-profile top five, top five matchups, people who aren't Georgia fans, they heard the name Brock Bowers, but they didn't really watch a whole lot of him. So they just assumed that's probably some dude that's running up the stat sheet on inferior competition, but then he did the same thing against Alabama. And you got Bama fans walking away, even in a win, saying – Got him again. Dude, that brought Bowers good, though. That's high I, I, I got a couple texts like, who the hell's 19? 
I was standing next to um, I, I was standing next to a, a former player, shall we say, at the game, and that's exactly what they were saying. You're about to see the game end, and they're all happy, but they're saying uh, that Bowers kid. You know, it turns out he is actually the real deal. So I'd I'd actually go tight end given the circumstances we saw. You know what was interesting, Josh? You go back and look at that tape. I went back and watched it. And kind of looked at formations. They had Brock Bowers playing slot. Yeah, sure did. So Kyrus Jackson only played about eight or nine plays. They ran 12 personnel with Fitzpatrick and Darnell Washington, but people kept thinking, well, we got three tight ends in. Yeah, but you did. But technically, they took Bowers and moved him to the slot. So he took reps from Kyrus Jackson and those guys. So that tells you a lot about how good he is and what they thought about him. All right, next question. Uh, GA Dog 307. This kind of hits on something we were just talking about as far as uh, recruiting uh, receivers. Will Georgia be involved with recent Florida decommit Jaden Gibson? Don't think so. I mean, I, I, he was in Athens this summer. They worked him out and, you know, just never really heard any traction between him and Georgia. Never really heard them recruiting him that hard. So, uh, I don't, you know, I know they need wide receivers, but right now I haven't heard anything going into uh, the end of this, um, you know, viewing period where they can be in homes. I haven't heard about them going in home. I don't expect him on campus this weekend. So that would tell me uh, they're probably not going that direction. Sure. Sure. All right. Next one. Deputy dog. If Lanning were to leave, who would be the next defensive coordinator? Would it be Muschamp or would it be Glenn Schumann? Oof. Uh, I'll give my take real quick. You know, it's, um, it could be one of those things where a co-defense coordinators, you know, to, sure. to, to do that. But, you know, I think Glenn Schumann's probably it's probably close to his time if Dan Lanning were to leave. I mean, Will Muschamp is the, the special teams coach, quote unquote special teams coach. Maybe Schumann goes in, and it, listen, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a a group effort. I mean, Kirby Smart's the head coach, of University of Georgia. Um, Dan Lanning is calling the plays, one thousand percent. Dan Lanning is calling the defense, but you can bet on Sundays that Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning are on the same page of what they want done. Glenn Schumann has been with Kirby Smart every day for a lot of years now he knows exactly what kirby smart likes he knows exactly what they expect on defense so um you know if dan lanning were to leave i think the bigger question josh if dan lanning were to leave does he take glenn schumann with him because i'm telling you right now glenn schumann is flat out getting it done in recruiting i mean this guy he's a reason they got jalen walker who's an absolute freak show uh cj washington the kid from cedartown works out with nick chubb every day it's a 315 power cleaner 315 pound power cleaner in high school um, you know, kid runs a hundred everything's a freak too. Uh, he's the reason they're in on five-star Shamar James out of Mobile, Alabama, and they're going to have him on campus this weekend. So I think the bigger worry is not who's going to be the DC. If Dan Lanning were to leave, do you lose a guy like Glenn Schumann, who is absolutely killing it on the recruiting trail? Oh, by the way, he just had another, uh, top linebacker in the country, uh, in the Kobe Dean this year. Think about this. So even if that were to happen, I mean, that would be the disaster scenario for Georgia fans. And yet, even if that happens, you got Will Muschamp there that mm -hmm. you can just plug. I mean, you can just plug a former sure. SEC no head question. coach in there. Yeah. So no right now, this is the blueprint. Like, this is the most underrated aspect of major programs that are run the white way. You, you run the risk, like we're seeing it at Clemson right now. Yes, you run the risk of losing coaches. Saban loses them every year. Uh, Kirby's going to lose them. That's one of the consequences of success. But you, it's like it's like those uh, those layered biscuits. You have the next layer already there. You don't have to go find the next layer somewhere else. And with the army that you have of analysts right now, 
you you have so many candidates. I mean, Muschamp's not an analyst. Human's not an analyst. But you have so many guys who are already in the building that you may not know the names of right now that are going to end up being your defensive line coach down the road or your outside linebackers coach. And right now, if you're looking at Oregon, I know this is way out of out of the uh, area code here, but like Oregon's learning this. They keep on having to go national for coaching searches. Whereas at Ohio State, they already had Ryan Day in the house. You know, at Oklahoma, they already had Lincoln Riley in the house. And that's in the assistant coaching world. If you've got things humming at the highest level, that's the organization you want to build. You want to build the organization where when everyone else is panicking because you lose a coach saying, where are we going to go get him? You just look inside your building and you say, he's already here. You may not know his name. He wasn't on your hot board, but I hired him for a reason. I trust him for a reason. He's here. Now, I'll tell you this about Will Muschamp. Oh, by the way, Will Muschamp's recruiting uh, Jaheim Singletary, five-star corner out of Florida, flip from Ohio, Ohio State, commit at one point. Uh, Will Muschamp's recruiting Kamari Wilson, uh, your top safety pro- target left. Uh, Julian Humphrey saw Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp in, in, out in Houston. So regardless of whatever your opinion of Will Muschamp is, when you go back and look at what he left on defense at Florida, the guys he signed, I'm not talking about guys, he, the guys that Will Muschamp signed on defense at Florida, there was a lot of first-rounders. Look at the guys he signed at South Carolina on defense. Uh, Anagoberry is about to be another, another first-round draft pick. Had a first-round draft pick corner last year. So you look at Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann both, you're talking about elite recruiters, and you're talking about guys that can call those defenses. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. Here's a guy I'll give you a quick name. People should know Buster Faulkner. I mean, mm-hmm. he's off the field guy. Buster Faulkner was an offensive coordinator at Southern Miss. And I asked him, I saw him in a coaching in MTSU, clinic. My yeah, I, I, I saw him in a coaching clinic. I said, Coach, you know, you took an offensive court. You, you had a hell of a year. And now you're off the field. He goes, look, you got in this world, you got to be in a big boy program. You got to put a big boy program on your resume. And I thought, you know, I thought, man, that is that's that's the way of it. I mean, that's what that's what you're talking about, Josh. I mean, there's got Buster Faulkner's a guy in a building that. You know, he might wind up being a coordinator in a year from now. And you're like, where'd that guy come from? He's been there. He's doing the he's doing the role in a big boy program and, and doing what he's going to do to uh, kind of help his resume. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and we'll take some questions from the YouTube comments. Uh, Josh, I'm actually going to throw this one your way because uh, I know you have some thoughts on it. Do you guys see the December slash early signing day period coming to an end? Having it sandwiched between the end of the regular season and bowl season slash college football playoff is a really bad time. Yeah, I do. Um, But I've long since been a supporter of this. Like, Rusty, we go into a lot of changes in the sport. And it's here's what it feels like to me. It's like if you were to text me and say, hey, dude, you ever been to you ever been to Europe? You want to go to Europe? And I say, just book the tickets. We're leaving tomorrow. You had a good idea. I implemented it with no research. That's kind of what we do in college right now. You know what? We need an early signing day done. You know, let's let's start exploring NIL next day done. And you got all kinds of consequences that are consequences of poor oversight and not being well thought out. So right now we're dealing with the consequences of having early signing day when it is. I'm not an anti early signing day guy. I would love to move the date. Like I have no problem with an August early signing day and have that. I mean, think about getting all that in the barn before you even break for fall camp. And, and what, so let me tell you, I mean, one thing, Josh, let me tell you what August 1st early signing day does it lets you know if that offer is real or not yes it does yes take you august 1st if that thing's not real so i think it helps everybody then you're done with it and then you come back in february to finish the thing off yeah and so now finally 
I, I've seen over the past week 10 times more traction for this than I think I've ever seen. So, and, and from not just fans or media, but from actual decision makers, administrative types, I know a bunch of coaches would be on board with it. So hopefully, well, the ones who don't mind working in July, let me put it that way, they sure. would be on board with it. So I think we actually may see um, some traction there. I would love that. And, and I think you have an out there. Okay, if Josh Pate signs with the University of Arkansas and if Sam Pittman leaves, then you have an out to reopen right. your recruitment. You know, if the head coach leaves, you have an out to reopen your recruitment. But I guarantee you this, if they had an August 1st signing day and you say everybody has 25, there would be about six to seven guys that would have really committable offers. So that 80% of the class is left. Uh, but you find out real quick, hey, I'm going to call up such and such school. Well, we kind of want you to wait. You know, Then you know that offer is not real. So I think it helps everyone. It allows the high school kids then to focus on their senior season. It allows the schools to go into practice and worry about things because, you know, the next signing day is in February. It's just bad time. I mean, I, I'm dealing with kids right now. I had a parent last night say, hey, look, man, we're dealing with this. Oh, by the way, he's got three finals next week. You know, so, man, it's just, it's just really, really bad timing, in my opinion, on this early signing day. And you also don't pressure people to make rash coaching decisions and move in October or November. Oh, and by the way, we get to make February great again, and that's never a bad thing. Yep. <laughs> All right, PVD underscore 21. Uh, Rusty, this one's going to be for you. Is And I know I'm going to butcher the name. Is Dion Bowie? Dion Smoke Bowie. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, is he an A&M lock still? His most recent crystal balls are still Georgia. Are they still up to date? I think uh, Smoke Bowie ends up at Texas A&M. I haven't heard a ton of with Georgia. Uh, you know, when Georgia got Jaheim Singletary, the five-star corner out of Jacksonville committed, I, I think that, uh, you know, that kind of told me a couple of things, that, that they got they got a guy. And then, uh, you know, they recruited Smoke Bowie. Don't, I mean, that's Kirby Smart's hometown, Bainbridge, Georgia, and uh, a lot of connections there. He committed to Georgia. Um, but, uh, you know, Good players. I think one ends up at Georgia, one ends up at Texas A&M. I think, I think he sticks with the Aggies. All right. Last question uh, here for Josh. Who is your favorite NFL prospect uh, on Georgia's roster? I think Jalen Carter is my favorite. Jalen Carter is the kind of guy who um, I, I know what his college profile is, but he also, Rusty, he feels like that kind of guy to me that when you're leading up to the draft and you're watching tape and you're listening to all the analysts break him down, they're talking about also's. He also has this. He also has that. Like you, he could go here and fulfill this need, that need. And sometimes we see guy. And he is shined at Georgia. Don't get me wrong. Jalen Carter's not a household name nationally, though. Yeah, he could end up being that. Like if if all the dominoes fall his way, he goes to the right organization, gets developed the right way, gets put in the right position. He could be a star at the next level. I've got a. I've got it documented. Saved a tweet, and I've got the story. On signing day with Jalen Carter's class, I've got it quoted. He will be the first player drafted out of that signing class at Georgia. Now, I didn't say what level he was going to. But <laughs> I just everybody, I everybody I talked to, every I mean everybody I talked to that were that would that saw him move from tight end as a junior to a defensive lineman uh, that spring evaluation period. Everybody's like, this kid is a freak. This kid is a this kid is an animal. He's going to be. Josh, right on the head right there. This guy next year is going to be the guy that steps up into the national state. Everybody's going to be like, wait a minute, Georgia's got 88. This guy's a, this guy's a freak as well. 
Absolutely. Well, Josh, uh, man, thank you for joining us. Um, be sure to tune in to the Late Kick uh, with Josh Pate every Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. You can follow Rusty on Twitter at Mansell 24-7. Guys, we'll talk to you next week.